It is five o'clock in Salford. Welcome to Tuesday's Richie Allen Radio Show. How are you? Are you well? Thank you once again for finding me, your BBG. It is uh, the 29th of November 2022, with you till seven o'clock this evening. Tony Gosling will be my guest today. You don't want to miss Tony. Just back from, he's just returned from New Zealand as Tony. Love the man, lots to talk about with him. You can reach me through the website richieallen.co.uk. Leave comments for me, I will read them, picking them up and reading them out as we go along. Okay. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yes, I would prefer that you reach to me during the program through richieallen.co.uk and comment live. Please do it that way. Not going to be on Twitter too much, even though the show is kind of back on Twitter, at least momentarily anyway. We'll talk about that, not the show being on Twitter. We'll talk about Twitter and where it might be going in a few minutes' time. I think it's interesting. News Roundup coming your way with some, again, interesting developments when it comes to free speech and freedom of expression and freedom of thought. So we'll get into that. But before I do anything at all, let me give you a heads up that Ian Plymer, that is Professor Ian Plymer, will be on this programme tomorrow for an extended interview. He is going to get out of his bed in the small hours of the morning in Australia to speak live to you and to me. Ian Plymer, live on The Richie Allen Show tomorrow. He's going to be on for pretty much the entire show. I'll do a very brief news roundup when I come on air tomorrow and then we'll be speaking with him. He's a geologist, a scientist. He is synonymous with a movement that is pushing back against climate change theory, anthropogenic climate change theory. He's written a book called Green Murder, A Life Sentence of Net Zero with No Parole. Green Murder, A Life Sentence of Net Zero with No Parole. In the book, he sets out to debunk climate crisis theory. It's very, very good. It's more than very good. We'll talk with him tomorrow. It'll be nice. I'll be able to put some of the points of view to him that mainstream journalists would, or put some of the questions to him that mainstream journalists would do if they had the courage, if they had the ethics to invite him on in the first place. Um, I'm a bit of a fan, but I'll have to leave that to one side tomorrow. Uh, He says as he drops the book on the floor next to the... uh, broadcast console. So yeah, Professor Ian Plymer, that's a big deal tomorrow at, uh, just after I begin the programme, tomorrow Wednesday, three minutes past the hour. So let's talk about this to begin then. The UK government has amended its online safety bill and it has removed a section which would have forced big tech firms to remove legal but harmful material. Now this is big news. I suppose I should say from the outset, I don't believe that the censorship is going to get any easier. It's not going to become any less prevalent. 
okay. A lot of people excited about Elon Musk and Twitter amnesties. I'm not so excited about it. I'll explain why a little bit later on. Nor am I excited by the news that the government is removing a clause from the online safety bill that would force big tech companies to remove legal but harmful material. Now, I have spoken with you often about the online safety bill or the online harms bill and why I believe that it, if it succeeds, it will be the death of the independent media. It'll be the death of it, okay? I've explained at length, I suppose, and I'm not going to bore you too much with it now, that I believe that the governments don't care about vulnerable people. They don't care too much about minorities. They certainly do not care about children. But they use minorities, they use vulnerable, allegedly vulnerable groups and children um, as um, as the excuse to bring in this draconian uh, censorship that they want to bring in, okay? And I've, I've said that, again, if this isn't stopped, it will see the end of the independent media because there won't be anywhere online for the independent media to go. More on that in a few minutes without repeating things I've said to you many times over the last couple of years. So on the face of it, free speech campaigners are delighted today that the government is seemingly backing down and will not compel social media companies to take legal content down just because someone claims it to be harmful. Okay, The Culture Secretary, Michelle Donnellan, has been speaking to the media about this. She is denying that by removing the clause, the government will be weakening laws to protect social media users. She said adults will have more control over what they see online. Okay, now this bill, the online safety bill, is basically about policing the internet. It's supposed to become law next year before the summer recess, the parliamentary summer recess next year. And it previously included this section requiring the largest, highest risk platforms to, quote, tackle some legal but harmful material accessed by adults. That would have meant Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and others would have been tasked with preventing people being exposed to things that might harm them. Adults. Children. Right, okay. Now, the tech giants will be told to introduce a system allowing users more control themselves to take more control for themselves to filter out harmful content they do not want to see. We'll hear from Donnellan in a second, okay? Um, she, she warned that those companies who didn't comply with, with the government's demands that they make it easier for people to opt out of seeing harmful things, they would face huge fines and reputational damage. Let's hear some Michelle Donnellan. Here she is this morning speaking with Sky News presenter Kay Burley, Michelle Donnellan. It had very, very concerning um, uh, impact potentially on free speech. There were unintended consequences associated with it. It was really the anchor that was preventing this bill from getting off the, the ground. It, it was a creation of a quasi-legal category between illegal and legal. That's not what a government should be doing. It's confusing. It would create a different kind of set of rules online to offline in the legal sphere. Personally, I think, you know, if we all agree that stuff should be illegal, let's make it illegal. And that's what we've done with this bill now. 
Yeah, the point is, it would create a difference between online and reality. So in reality, you you don't get to disappear people or ideas that you don't like because you feel they are harmful. You don't get to do that unless there are laws, existing laws, preventing people from saying things or doing things. That's reality. But she said if we allowed, if we if we forced social media companies to take down things deemed to be harmful but not illegal, we're then creating two different societies. Reality, where you don't get to get rid of things that are not illegal. Online, you do get to vanish things which are legal. You get to do that because somebody says, well, I find it to be harmful, okay? She says individual responsibility will, will come into play here. Tech giants will be told... Give a system to users to allow them to get rid of the harmful content they do not want to see. Now, I've been... How long have I been broadcasting? How long have I been in radio? Uh, 25 years now, nearly. Twitter and Facebook, to name two, and those are the social media platforms I am most familiar with. They ha- already have these systems. This is the thing. It's This is the inversion here. The... Twitter users and Facebook users can mute or block content creators they do not want to see. It is very simple. I've said this a thousand times over the years when somebody sent me a tweet saying that they hated what I had to say or they hated that I interviewed somebody on the far right. I said, you don't have to listen and you can block my tweets. It's very simple. And then you don't see me. I'm not pursuing you. Not talking to you specifically. So this is already available to users. Keep that in mind. Individual responsibility. Now, Jonathan Ashworth from Labour is the Shadow Work and Pensions Secretary. That's right. I had to think about that for a moment. Jonathan Ashworth, Leicester-based MP. Uh, He's not impressed. He's not impressed at all that the government will not be compelling social media companies to take legal but possibly harmful content down. Jonathan Ashworth, I think we'll hear Kay Burley first. Unintended consequences of free speech if they didn't take that particular bit out of the bill. I'm not sure that's entirely correct. It looks like they've weakened the bill or proposing to weaken the bill. I'm very concerned about anti-Semitic content that, that you can find on social media, about racist content. Interesting that he says anti-Semitic and racist content that you can find. Well, it's pretty easy to choose not to find it. And when you do come across it, just take that mouse, point it over, mute or block, and then you don't see that person again. I'm concerned about anti-Semitism and racism that you can find. But you can find it anywhere. I mean, there are places in the Deep South in the United States, there are places in Europe, where if you want to find extreme homophobic people, extreme racists and extreme anti-Semites, you can find them if you want, but it's pretty easy to choose not to. I just won't go there. And I'll avoid those people. Let's hear more from him. Mm. Um, that would be illegal. Well, would it though? I mean, there are concerns that what the government are proposing waters down the, uh, waters down the, 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 uh, the legislation and that some of this obnoxious, foul material which does circulate on social media will, will still be allowed to circulate. So, uh, It'll be allowed to circulate, maybe. It won't be. I'll explain why in a few minutes. But it's pretty easy for those who choose to be offended by that stuff not to consume it. It's very simple. 
And the government, even though these provisions exist already on Facebook and on Twitter, the government is saying we're going to really clamp down on them to ensure that they give their users the tools to remove the content they do not want to see. What more does he want, this guy, Ashworth? Look, there are... I mean, my other deep concern about social media is the way it impacts on uh, on teenagers, young people. So we'll leave it there. We won't hear any more of him. He's in Egypt. He goes on to talk about children because he doesn't have a leg to stand on when it comes to speaking about adults. You know, adults with, with personal responsibility. Okay. We'll leave him alone for a moment. Now, also, on um, this particular subject, listen to Caroline Dynage. Caroline Dynage is an MP, a peer as well. Is she? She's a baroness, is she? Caroline Dynage. She worked on the legislation. She worked on it for two years. Here she is speaking to BBC News 24. Again, they're discussing the fact that the government has stepped back from its plans to force social media companies under threat of fines to remove content which isn't illegal but has been accused to be harmful. So let's listen to a woman who was heavily involved in drafting this legislation, Caroline Dynage. Well, I mean, this is still a groundbreaking piece of legislation and it goes a really long way towards achieving that ambition of making us the one of the safest places in the world to be online. Uh, it, it's an incredibly complicated piece of legislation. I worked on it for two years and I was just one of a number of stewards. Uh, I do I do have concerns about the removal of the legal but harmful. It was a clunky bit of legislation. It was always very difficult to define it. But if we are really serious about tackling the some of the real harms that are out there on, in the online world, particularly for adults, you know, because the protections for children are there already um, in this legislation, then then you know it, it does feel like this is a little bit suboptimal to me. Very good. She said, very difficult to define. I'm, she, she's not happy that they took out that requirement to remove legal but harmful. Then she said that this is not about children because the provisions are already there for children in the Act. So it, it, it's like two sets of rules, really. They will be taking down anything that is deemed to be harmful to children, but, but not for adults, not for people who are over 18. Right. And she's not happy with this. And she admitted there that it's very difficult to define. How do you define that? Well, ultimately, you see, as we've discussed a million times on this programme and others, um, it becomes very subjective, this. It becomes very subjective. What is harmful? What is offensive or annoying or vexing to you might not be annoying or vexing or harmful to somebody else, you see. And who makes the decision then? Well, we'll come back to that in a moment. Listen to more of Caroline Dynage, who drafted this stuff. I spoke to um, the Samaritans who say the vulnerability of people doesn't stop once they hit their 18th birthday. And this is it. And the fact is you there is no comparison with the online world for this because algorithms send you down a rabbit hole. It's into a sort of echo chamber where all you hear is your own paranoias and your own uh, viewpoints reflected back at you and then signposted on to more and more extreme and, and, uh, and explicit content. So if you're a young woman with an eating disorder or potentially a, a young man at risk of radicalization, you're exposed to that kind of content in a way that you wouldn't be day to day, um, hour after hour in the outside world. So when you put it like that, then, do you, 
Do you feel let down that the government has taken this decision now? You, I mean, you said it was clunky, but you've just described very clearly the impact of, of what goes on. Yeah, I mean, I feel that there are now there are now going to be protections that were really explicit in the bill, which will now be up to social media platforms and other online platforms to define for themselves and to regulate for themselves. And, you know, that to me is, you know, is not where I wanted to end up. I really w hoped that the government would be able to prescribe some of what they call the priority harms and really get this, the platforms to tackle them more explicitly. But at the end of the day, we are where we are and time is ticking. If we do not get this legislation delivered by pretty much spring of next year, then it will fall and we will lose all the protections that are included in it. Now, the Samaritans were mentioned. Jackie Morrissey works in research and policy for the Samaritans. She went on Sky News this morning. The Samaritans are not happy with the removal of the clause that would compel big tech companies to take down legal content because somebody says it's harmful. Um, the Samaritans are talking a lot about vulnerable adults with mental health issues who might be affected and who can't avoid seeing content which, while legal, is harmful and triggering to them. That's the Samaritans' view. Okay, This is insane, but, but this is where we are. And um, before we hear Jackie Morrissey from the Samaritans, listen to the question put to her by Sky News presenter Jane Secker. I mean, Jackie, do you accept the fact that, I mean, whilst we may look at, at what you're saying about the Samaritans and the guidance that you give about certain things to do with, to do with mental health, that those are, are sort of sensible guidelines and, and most people would, would, would agree with, with them. But actually, by putting something like this in law, you're allowing other organisations to say, well, well, actually, we believe this and this is how we're going to police it. And Kemi Badnock, government minister, says, you know, you can't legislate for hurt feelings. You can have all sorts of different organisations saying, well, you can't say this, you can't say that. And, th and that that really would impinge on free speech. Absolutely. Eventually, you will have all manner of organisations saying, you can't say this, you can't say that, you mustn't post this or that or the other because my particular group of people is vulnerable. Yes, we accept it isn't illegal, but we have a huge group of vulnerable people here and we can't have that stuff online. And there are 70,000 other groups queuing up to say this must be taken down even though it isn't illegal because it harms my particular identity group. What does Jackie Morrissey and that's devastating for free speech, says Jane Secker of Sky. What does the Samaritans woman say? Wait. This is about people's lives. That's about what people's lives. We're talking about. So tackling illegal suicide and self-harm content in the online safety bill, really important. We really pleased the government as he did our calls to criminalise encouraging uh, someone to take their own life, someone to harm themselves online. But it's only half the job. So what we're concerned about, so young people aged over the age of 18, they are telling us they have felt suicidal, they have found it very easy to find information online which is going to help them end their own life, and they have felt pretty determined to act on what they have seen online. What we're concerned about is the bill is absolutely now failing to recognise this, so it's not going to protect people at a time when they need it most. You know, these are people who are in a really bad place in their lives, a time when they're really not very well, and we're doing nothing through the bill now to help them. This is crazy. This is crazy. 
if someone thinks they might be triggered by something, surely the onus must be on that person to avoid using platforms where they might be triggered. She said, this is terrible. Young people with suicidal thoughts are telling her that they find it pretty easy to find content online which talks about committing suicide. Well, yeah, there must be 700 billion pages on the internet. There must be millions and millions of websites. Of course, it's easy to find something like that. But why would you go looking for it? Isn't the onus on them to avoid using platforms where they might be triggered? And surely the onus is not on everyone else to go about walking on eggshells and removing legal content on the basis that it might harm someone. I mean, what is she talking about? Is she talking about maybe two journalists having a conversation on Twitter about suicide rates among young people? Could that be deemed harmful? And could that be taken down? Some woman from The Guardian having a chat with some woman from the, ma- from the Mail Online, and they're talking on Twitter about a story they're covering. Might that trigger somebody who's thinking about committing suicide? This is fucking crazy. Aren't we back to lockdowns again? Stay indoors. Uh, No more than two households to meet. Keep your distance. Shut your business. Why? Well, because some vulnerable person that you've never met in your life might get sick. Well, I don't have any responsibility for that person. I have no responsibility for suicidal people. There is a law. It is in existence. I must not, and it's only right and proper, I must never suggest to a person who who I believe to be unwell that they kill themselves. There is a law against that. It is a crime. If I do that, I will go to prison. This is mad stuff, this. And I should be according to some people who I know who've spoken to me today, a bit more optimistic about this. Ah, they're backing down, Richie. Do you know what they're doing? They're playing a long game. And and I don't think there's a lot of time left in it. This is coming in anyway. And as a great friend of mine has said a thousand times over the years, Hayden Hewitt, the man behind the monster that was LiveLeak.com, one of the biggest websites in the world for many years. You know what Hayden said? Richie, it doesn't matter what governments say. It doesn't matter what secretaries of state say. This is coming in, and it's coming in this way. Listen to Elon Musk. Um, Don't listen to Elon Musk. Listen to a news presenter telling you a story about Elon Musk and it'll explain what I mean. Elon Musk has accused Apple of threatening to remove Twitter from his app store without reason. In a series of tweets, the platform's new owner also said that Apple, Twitter's biggest advertiser, had halted spending. There's been no comment from Apple, though the tech giant has removed all tweets from its account. Yes, Hayden Hewitt is right. The private sector will drive the tyranny. It will drive the tyranny. The private sector will drive censorship. It'll drive the social credit system, which is coming in. It'll drive cashless. Of course, the private sector is driving cashless. And this Twitter amnesty is temporary. When enough companies destroy, decimate Elon Musk's bottom line at Twitter, Elon Musk will fold like a bad suit. Of course he will.
and the thousands of accounts that were restored in the last couple of days and maybe the thousands more that will be restored in the coming days will eventually be disappeared again. He will fold, as they say, like a cheap suit. You see, isn't it extraordinary? And you've got radio presenters, I'm not going to share too much of it with you today, you know, virtue signalers, screaming bloody murder, you know, that we have to be a, a kinder society. A kinder society. That being kind means censoring yourself, shutting yourself up, um, not saying that which you really want to say, lest it offend, irritate or trigger somebody living 3,000 miles away. Vulnerable groups. How many times on this programme did we talk about this? You can see the reason now for the term vulnerable group. People giving away their power to their governments, giving away self-responsibility to governments, allowing themselves to be categorised as, as, as helpless and vulnerable. Vulnerable to what? To the opinions of other people? Yeah, I am. Therefore, I give my power to my government to take ownership of me and to protect me from things I don't like hearing. When all the fucking time the protection is at your fingertips. I hate Donald Trump and his supporters. Do you? I don't like them either. But you know what? I just don't pay attention to them. I don't block them, I don't mute them, I just don't read them. But you really hate them, yeah? Well, just block them. It's right there. The mouse is right there. The control pad on your laptop is right there. The mouse pad, it's very simple. Block, mute, gone. Block, mute, gone. You don't have to read it, you don't have to see it, you don't have to engage with it. But that's not enough, though. That's not the paradigm. The paradigm we exist in now is, well, it's not good enough that I don't see it. Nobody should see it. I don't like it. I think it's terrible. I, I'm not going to see it. And nobody else should either. That's the paradigm in 2022. This is your Richie Allen Show. It's exactly 26 minutes past five. Lots happening on today's programme. Tony Gosling a little bit later on too. You can dance it. Take that. Hold up a light from the album Circus. It's exactly half five. Your Richie Allen show back in 40 seconds. Colds, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases, a nuisance, but we all get them. Now more than ever, it is essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko protocol, Immune X365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immune X365 every Every day, as a special launch offer to UK listeners of the Richie Allen Show, you will receive a discount of fifteen percent by using the code RichieAllen365 at checkout. Go to immunex365.co.uk to get yours now, and with free two-day track delivery. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. Yeah, let me tell you about Mark Bayerski, lovely guy, a great friend of ours. He's been raising funds for the Richie Allen Show. And right up until this coming Friday, if you buy an ebook at markbayerski.com, he will send the proceeds to uh, to me, to the Richie Allen Show. And uh, as well as buying the ebook, you will go into a draw for uh, an array of beautiful crystals. To find out more about that, go to Mark's YouTube channel, Mark Bayerski YouTube. Um, 
yeah, just look for Mark Boyerski on YouTube, you'll find it. Lovely thing. Uh, right up until Friday, buy an ebook and you'll be in a draw for uh, to win a, a box of crystals and it all goes to the Richie Allen Show. That's a great thing. So thanks again to Mark for doing that. Lots of comments on the online safety bill. I, I keep calling it the online harms bill, but it's the online safety bill. May, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. I get it wrong all the time. Yeah, it's the online safety bill. They want to get it through before summer recess next year and then it'll be law. They're saying it's watered down and that it is less censorious. There's a word we're using all week, but in reality, probably not. Chris says, Justin Castro, he means Justin Trudeau, and the Canadian government wouldn't fare too well under the former, formerly proposed online harms bill, would they? Because they are openly encouraging assisted suicide in all ages. That's something I'm going to be covering on the programme. I have a guest lined up to talk about that next week. Incredible what's happening with regards to assisted suicide in Canada. Yes, good to bring it up there, Chris. Uh, thank you for that. Jenny said, suicides happened long before the internet. If someone is determined to kill themselves, they do not need the internet to tell them how to do it. I'm an adult. I want to decide for myself what I will and won't read, watch and listen to. Kevin says, you're right about advertisers, Richie. It's all about ESG. I recommend people look into it. It's the key to everything. But there is massive pushback in the US, says Kevin. And then he says, we will prevail. I hope you're right. As far as uh, Elon Musk folding like a cheap suit, Pandora says, but, 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 his suit is Baphomet's and is bad enough, cheap enough, hellish enough or diverse enough to be unfolded. Yeah, that, that Halloween. I didn't see the photograph. I don't doubt it. If, if you tell me, it must be true. But Musk wore a Baphomet suit on Halloween, did he? Why? I don't know. Bruce says there is a film called Idiocracy. It's a comedy, but I do feel like I'm in it. That's right, Bruce. About 10 years old, is it? If memory serves. Craig asks, what is the difference be between anthrop anthropomorphic, that's right, easy, not for me to say, anthropomorphic, Climate change and anthropogenic climate change. In real terms, nothing, says Craig. Both have been created by social influencers to put power in their hands. It's equality uh, of outcome. That's a good point. Richard Kelly says, I thought Trigger was a horse. Yes, I thought he was a road sweeper in Peckham. But I could be wrong. I have been known to be wrong. Herself asks or says, Richie, thank you for keeping up with these mind-bending BS artists trying to further enslave us. I don't have to watch the headlines, says herself, because you do. But you should anyway. Just keep a, keep a hand in to what's going on in the media. It is quite revealing at times. Thank you uh, for that. Um, and a number of you have mentioned to me in the last couple of days about James Whale, who's a pretty well-known broadcaster in the UK. He had a late-night television show on ITV, which was mildly amusing in the late 80s, early 1990s. Lately, he's been working for Talk TV. He has announced, James Whale, that he won't be around next year because he is dealing with terminal cancer, which is no joke, isn't funny, and um, good luck to him and his family uh, dealing with that. But um, a number of you have pointed out that he uh, was very abusive to people on his programme who didn't want to get the jab. And a number of you are asking if his terminal cancer 
is related to him having the jab. I couldn't possibly answer that. It would be outrageously wrong of me to. All I do know is, is that James Whale has been dealing with cancer for several years, as far as I understand. I genuinely wish him, or anybody going through cancer, uh, the best. You know, it's touched home that very recently with the passing of Maxine Ripley, the, the Maxine, of course, the wife of um, our great friend, Paul Ripley. It's no joke. I don't have any personal time for Whale. There was a pretty public thing a couple of years ago. He allowed a guy from an organisation called Hope Not Hate go live on his programme and say the most libelous stuff about me, about me, about me. <laughs> I can't say it any other way. I'm not going to refer to myself in the third person. But yes, terrible stuff. And the most amazing thing happened, which I couldn't believe was going on. I contacted James Whale while he was live on air and said, I am the person that is being defamed on your programme. Um, it's really in your best interest to put me on air this instant, live, to refute the claims of the Muppet from this organisation, Hope Not Hate, who is basically calling me a Holocaust denier and a hater of Jewish people. This is in your best interest. It covers your arse. Put me on air. You know what James Whale did? And I couldn't believe it. It's a sackable offence, really. He blocked me on Twitter and refused to um, bring me on the programme. I rang the station and they wouldn't answer me. It was a stone-cold case of complaining to... I could have complained to Ofcom, open and shut, and I probably could have sued James Whale, the producer, and the radio station. But um, I can't be arsed with it. That's what he did. I've never seen anything like it. As a man who has produced talk radio for years, it is manna from heaven. The minute somebody on your show says something potentially libelous about somebody else, it is a gift from God when the person who has been defamed phones up to say, I want to come on, because it covers your arse. You've gotten the right of reply. It's right there. But Whale blocked me and they wouldn't let me on. That's astonishing. Remember Hayden Hewitt saying to me, they're talking about you on talk. I said, really? He said, yeah, they're saying some pretty dreadful things. They wouldn't let me on. Uh, yeah, that's the only time I've ever had anything to do with James Whale. Uh, I sincerely wish him and his family well. And maybe uh, he, he, he will still be here this time next year and maybe he won't be gone after all. Scottish Al says these are there are people who make a living out of going out of their way to find anti-Semitic and racist material online and vilifying people for example the Anti-Defamation League, Black Lives Matter Hope Not Hate etc. Well there are and there are very powerful organisations, non-governmental organisations who pay people to troll people to go after content creators, independent content creators and to try and smear them. This is a fact that's been going on uh, for a long time, but good point you're making there, Scottish Al. The time is coming up for 21 minutes to the top of the hour. In about 15, 20 minutes' time, Tony Gosling will be live online, and we're going to talk about something called accelerationism and accelerationists. Who or what are accelerationists? Well, accelerationists are people that want things to accelerate. <laughs> obviously. But which things do they want to accelerate? Well, they want to accelerate technology. 
computer technology and um, at the speed of light to serve the agendas you and I talk about on this programme, to serve the great, great reset agenda, the climate crisis agenda, to bring in social crediting, to bring in climate lockdowns, all of that sort of stuff. So when I talk about accelerationism, Tony was very taken with an article written by a bloke called Ian Davis. You can read his articles on his website, Ian Davis. Um, but he's not the first guy to talk about accelerationism. It is a phenomenon. It's been around a long time, but it is uh, an, an expedited. It is, it is gathering pace. It is accelerating uh, this agenda. So we'll talk about that and what it means with Tony and much more when we speak in a few minutes' time. This is your Richie Allen Show on Tuesday the 29th of November 2022. When I do this, I'm thinking, where am I going next? <laughs> where are you going next? I'll tell you where I'll go. I'll go here. And I'm mindful that if you are new to the programme and if you if your politics are on the left, you might think this is a very right-wing thing to cover, but uh, don't be fooled. I'm, I'm not remotely right-wing. I'm not any wing of anything. I used to be a socialist. I don't know what I am now. Apart from tall and thin and bald and ugly. But other than that, I don't know what I am. And this is serious shit, this. Mother's fury at primary school for teaching her eight-year-old daughter about masturbation by showing video titled, quote, Top Signs Boys Are in Puberty, end quote. And eight-year-olds were taught this in a sex education lesson at Coles Hill Primary School in Birmingham. These are year four pupils. In Ireland, we would we would have said fourth standard for whatever reason. Dear Irish listeners, do they still refer to primary school classes in, in such a way? He's in second standard. He's in fifth standard. He's in sixth standard. Sixth standard is the final one before you go on to high school or secondary school. Anywho, year four, eight-year-old kids were shown this video teaching children about male puberty they also discussed wet dreams and showed the children images of a rocket and volcano erupting as a way of illustrating an erect penis. One mother complained, went absolutely do lally, as they say in some parts of this country, said this is sexualizing children. The video showed a cartoon of a boy waking up in his bed after having a wet dream. So the mother said I'm really angry about it because I don't believe that my eight-year-old daughter should be taught about masturbation. She's far too young. Apparently, the daughter asked the mother, why do boys have wet dreams? She was upset about it and said, communicated to her mother, she didn't want to be listening to it or learn any more about it. Mum said this is disgusting and took it to the head teacher. She was given a an apology of sorts, but, amazingly... Uh, the head teacher reminded the mother that she didn't have any right to opt the daughter out of the lesson. And this is the thing, you see. Yes, yes, uh, I, maybe, uh, maybe that video is maybe, maybe pushing it a bit, but, but you don't have any right to opt your child out of the lessons. Now, the mother told the Mail Online, if um, a child went to school and told their teachers, or her teacher, that dad or stepdad had been saying they were, quote, horny and had sexual desires and wet dreams, alarm bells would ring and social services would be around the house 
at the speed of light. That is an excellent point. Where are social services? Stranger, not strangers, because teachers are not strangers. Let's be, don't be silly, baldy, not strangers. <clears throat> but adults are speaking to children about erections and ejaculations and wet dreams, and these are eight-year-old children. Is it a form of child abuse? What do you think? Is it? Now, you see, the government says that we can't think about sex education in the way we used to think about it many years ago before the internet. How did you learn about the birds and the bees, dear listener? Do you remember? My mother gave me a book when I was about 12. It was a book. It was a book that I think had been aimed at women or young teenage women about the birds and the bees, and it had illustrations in it. It was all rather disgusting to my 12-year-old eyes, but she gave me a book and just left me to it. There was no discussion about it. There was no... Now, when you've had a read of that, let's have a chat about your thoughts. No, God, no. It wasn't the Cosby show when I grew up. <laughs> have a look at that and, and then put it back. <laughs> That's what it was. Have a read of that. What is it? It's something you should read. All right, I'll have a look at it then. And then, and then what? And then put it back in the drawer or in the press, and say no more about it. That's the truth. That's when I was 12. Then, of course, I attended St. Paul's Community College in Waterford Secondary School, and we had Miss Hallie and Miss Hallie. Miss Hallie was gorgeous, by the way. Oh, yeah. Absolutely beautiful woman. And she taught us about biology in a science class, which we had four times a week. And the gametes and the sperm cells and the zygotes and all that sort of stuff. It's completely unsexy. And uh, that's how I learned. How did you learn? So so the government says, and education department says, and special interest groups say, that times have changed. It isn't good enough now to wait until they go to biology classes in secondary school. It's got to be done sooner because the internet and because of the things that children can access on the internet. Do they have a point? Is it fair to ask that? Do they have a point when they say that? Am I way too conservative about this? Are you too conservative about this? Do they have a point? Or do they not have a point? Do they not have a point? Should this be left to the parents and the parents alone? I think it should be left to the parents and the parents alone. RichieAllen.co.uk did you see the conservative radio media went into meltdown today about some videos that emerged of Albanian men in London celebrating Albanian Independence Day? Did you see this? The video showed lots and lots of young men in cars, some of them very expensive cars, in London celebrating and giving it large, giving it welly about Albanian independence and this is particularly sensitive at the moment of course because lots of young Albanian men are navigating perilous waters in the channel in fairly dodgy put together crafts little dinghies and stuff Albanian men are trying to get to the UK for a better life so this is rather sensitive so what about all these Albanian men well a guy who writes for The Spectator, whose name is, let me have a quick look, his name is Gavin Mortimer. He says that basically this is Albanian men sticking it in our faces, rubbing our noses in the fact that they can come here and do whatever they like. He's talking with Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It was goading the, the, 
the British public, yeah. if you like. It. They were goading us. Like it was this ostentatious display. Look at us. We are milking this system. We're here in our cars and there's nothing you can do about it. And frankly, there isn't anything we can do about it. So it seems, Mike, at the moment, because yeah. the, um, they just keep coming. And we're not just here in our cars. We're here in our big Mercedes. We're here in our Porsche 4x4s. We're here in our Bentleys. I mean, these are, these are people with a lot of money. And what we do know uh, from the Home Office and what we do know as well from prison statistics is that Albania is by far and away the highest represented country in our prison population uh, outside of the UK itself. And we also know from anecdotal evidence that an awful lot of the drug gangs which are now running drugs in Britain are Albanian. Yeah, absolutely. I wrote a piece about this with the spectator uh, a couple of weeks ago, just saying the uh, highlighting the influence for over 20 years of the Albanian mafia uh. Uh, and how it's just slowly spread west. Germany, Austria, Belgium, into France, and now it's, it's, in, it's into Britain. And this mm. is why the number of small boats has suddenly increased, because they, the Albanian mafia uh, five six years ago realised how easy it was and that no one was stopping them and, and with Theresa May's uh, Slavery Act uh, w once you're here you know, you're not going to be um, deported yeah. Be afraid, be very afraid of the Albanians Am I being unfair there? Am I? But it's more fear-mongering by the conservative media isn't it? It is, of course it's happening, it's happening I know this, I'm not stupid I wouldn't dream of gaslighting you. But of course, the conservative media is just another gatekeeper, isn't it? It's not going to discuss why it's happening. I mean, they must have melted down today when the Office for National Statistics provided some information on the most recent census uh, saying that Christians are now a minority in England and in Wales. They must have went into meltdown in the uh, conservative media today. That's interesting, that. Um, according to the Telegraph, let's have a look at this, the number of people, uh, so Christians are a minority in England and Wales. So the proportion of people in England and Wales who would say, yes, I am a Christian, has fallen below 50% for the first time. And also um, the number of people in England and Wales identifying their ethnic group as white has fallen by around half a million over a decade. That's an interesting one. Uh, the second most common ethnic group was Asian, Asian British or Asian Welsh, at 9.3%. That's a growth, uh, that's up by seven, sorry, Jesus Richie, right. In 2011, the Asian, Asian British or Asian Welsh made up 7.5% of the population. That has grown to 9.3%. Now, in real figures, there are 1.2 million more Muslims in uh, England and Wales than there were in 2011. And again, the conservative and far-right media has gone into meltdown, but they're, they're stirring up their readers and their listeners and their viewers in a way that is designed exactly as they're doing it in a way that the the people behind the Great Reset Agenda want them to do it. It's identity politics. They're not doing it in a way 
that identifies what's really going on and who's really responsible for it. It's rabble-rousing, you see, and it's designed to get people screaming abuse at Asian people and Albanian people and all the rest of it. What they never do is try to identify why it's happening and who is really responsible for it. Because that's really, any journalistic exercise, that's all that matters, right? Why and who? But no, they do it in such a way that, well, they put one group of people against one another. It's identity politics, and it is a race to the bottom. As you and I well know, it's eight minutes to the top of the hour. Let me read some more of your comments. Tony Gosling with me in around about ten minutes' time. It's Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. Will you be watching Wales versus England this evening, dear listener? Will you? It begins the very second I end this evening. Wales play England. Wales need to beat England and hope that the United States draws with Iran. And if that happens, Wales and England will advance to the round of 16. Otherwise, Wales need to beat England by four or more goals, which is probably not going to happen. And then the game between Iran and USA won't really matter. England have all but qualified. All they need to do is avoid losing by four goals or more to the Welsh. Go on, the Welsh. My Celtic cousins, I hope Wales and England progress. Because I like my soccer. But I haven't watched much of this World Cup at all. But I think if El Frogo permits, I think I will crack open a can of Stella. Ice cold at seven o'clock as I am editing the podcast for the Richie Allen Show. And watch Gareth Bale and Harry Kane. That's what I'm thinking about doing. What are you doing? Tell me while I open your comments. The website's a bit slow again. We're getting hammered. I think... Don't laugh now. Don't laugh. I think the unbanning of the Twitter account, I think, has seen a little bit of an increase in the live listening numbers and people accessing the website. I think that's possibly the case. I mean, it's busy anyway, every day. Let's see, can we get your comments up? Yes. Anto says, I always blamed the teachers for what the kids went through over the last three years. And now they're allowing this paedophile curriculum. That's where this is going, says Anto, the legalisation of paedophilia. Do you think so, pal? And on this, we should be kinder to one another. Craig says, you know, this idea, embrace the feminine side of life, reject the patriarchy. It sounds nice on the surface of things, says Craig, but he says it's an attitude that ignores a few things, one of which is language, symbolism use and manipulation. The moon is largely associated with the feminine, he says. He says, Ea or Ya or Ja or Ya was an ancient Egyptian moon goddess from which comes Yahweh, Jehovah and Allah. And also that other light bringer to darkness, Lucifer. He says, does Craig the Freemason pyramid shows the golden capstone representing the sun or sun, S-O-N, sitting separate from the body. But above that sits the all-seeing eye, surrounded by rays of light. Not the light of the vengeful sun god, but the light of the feminine, the kind moon goddess. It's also worth noting that angels in Freemasonry are denoted as female, much as the Roman Victoria uh, and Norse Valkyries. The Roman Victorious and Norse Valkyries or Valkyries. Very interesting stuff, that. He used to get into a lot of this with Jordan. Rest in peace many years ago. Gail says, I'm, I was more to find Rinchy when, when my science teacher showed us videos and showed us how to put condoms on bananas. 
I was mortified because he knew my father. They used to work together. <laughs> how old were you, Gail, when your science teacher showed you how to put a condom on a banana? I'm guessing you were probably 15, 16, 14, 15, probably. Yes, age appropriate and all of that. Herself was eight. My cousin was 12. My cousin told me about sex. I didn't believe her. It sounded preposterous to me, said herself. <laughs> what it would do to an eight-year-old. It's preposterous. Is there anybody who wants to go to bat for the education system? Is there anybody listening who thinks, listen, there is a balance here. You know, the youngsters are far more aware of their own sexuality. Now, youngsters don't have sexuality. That's almost a ridiculous thing to say. Children do not have sexuality. But what I mean is, youngsters are more aware of sex, aren't they? And sexuality. And is there any merit to the government or any government saying, look, parents, you're not a, you know, we, we, we have to jump in here and say they need to be told something. Is there anyone who wants to go to bat? I don't agree with that at all. Bruce is 58 and the birds and the bees are still a mystery to me. I hope you're not one of them, Bruce. What are they called, those guys? They're very hostile to women. This is, it's been a long day again. What are they called? You know, these guys who are celibate, but not incels. Incels, yes. Involuntary celibates. It came back to me. I'm not coming down with early onset dementia. I hope you're not an incel. I doubt you are. Incels are strange creatures, aren't they? Guys who um, hate women because they can't get sex. Is, is that a fair summation of incels? They hate women because they are involuntary celibate because they can't have a... Sh it, is, it is tea time. Calm down, Richie. Gene says, I used to think James Whale was awakened on side, but he's come out with a lot of pro-establishment crap recently. It makes me wonder... Uh, what he knows about the movers and the shakers, says Gene. You never know, you know. I've learned not to assume that somebody is being a gatekeeper. And I, I, I've argued with you, not Gene now, but you, you, my listener. We've argued over the years about this. It's too easy to assume that somebody is willfully shilling for the establishment. I, I think more often than not, they're not willfully doing it. It's actually what they believe more often than not. You know? Uh, you might disagree with me. You can tell by the vehemence sometimes. You can tell by the venom sometimes in the delivery. I see it with uh, a lot of radio presenters shouting down people who dared to question the sanity of pumping jabs that had only just basically they were that, that were a figment of somebody's imagination six months ago now you've got them it's mad isn't it I, I, the venom with which some radio presenters went after these people said to me that they really believed that we were in danger and that people needed to take these jabs that's my opinion Let's have some Phil Linet. God bless him. It's exactly 90 seconds to 6 o'clock. The old Covent Garden. I remember. Yeah, the late, great Phil Linet, Old Town on the Richie Allen Show. It's a minute past six this Tuesday, the 29th of November, 2022. My guest this hour is a former BBC journalist, a great guy. He is an author. 
Uh, I'm going to plug the Jesus out of his books during this hour, uh, just before he does. I'll beat him to it. Uh, and he, he is also the presenter of Not the BCFM Politics Show, which airs out of Bristol every Friday at five o'clock and is a great listen. He's just been, he's just returned even from an annual sojourn to New Zealand. Let's welcome back our friend, Tony Gosling. Welcome back, T. How are you? Hi, Richie. Hi, Richie. Well, not quite uh, annual in New Zealand. It's, I just go out there when needed, really. It's not really a holiday, really looking more like looking after elderly folks, but it's a nice place to be doing that. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks for plugging the books a bit. Uh, the main object of that is, I mean, the, the weird thing, actually, is that both the books were commissioned books by publishers that then changed their minds. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm thinking to myself, hang on a minute, I put this time and effort into and, you know, put these things together, both very different. One is a bit of uh, basically an investigation into the end of the Second World War Borman, and the yeah. deals between the Nazis and, and the um, British, specifically between Hitler's private secretary and Churchill's private secretary. And the other one is really more of um, an anthology <clears throat> looking at secret governments since the English Civil War. And uh, so very different, but, you know, interesting. I thought I was, but, but, you know, every time a, if a publisher calls you up and says, here's an advance, which one of them did, you know, a big check, uh, put this book together, we'll be publishing it in 18 months' time. You, you know, it's quite an exciting time and you get ready for it. And then for them to then come back to you and say, we're not really interested anymore, changed our mind. You know, it's it, it, it stinks. It's you sickening, know? is what it is. T. It's sickening. Yeah. We're going to talk about something. Um, it's accelerationism. We're going to talk about that in great depth. But before we do that, let's run through some of the big stories this week, just to get a few thoughts from you. What do you make of events in China and what what appears to be some, you know, for the first time in a long time, some pushback from citizens there against the horrendous COVID lockdowns? What, what, what do we make of that? Something to cheer? Something to be excited about? What do you reckon? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, it was interesting when um, Trump... Uh, announced he was running for president. Uh, it was quite a long speech, about an hour long, and it's worth listening to. Uh, towards the end of it, he started talking about some conversations. He'd had direct conversations with President Xi. And it's, you know, he, brilliant humour. He's saying to him, hey, come on, why don't you just admit it? You're the king of China. And he's going, oh, no, 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 I'm president, you know. <laughs> uh, and he's saying, well, actually, you're president for life. He's a king. Why don't you just come out and be honest about it? You know, say you're the king. You're <laughs> so the king, this is yeah. Trump. This is Trump for you. And of course, this doesn't go down well in China, particularly with these. Uh, you know, the 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 house arrest basically that people have been put under uh, the amazing technologies with these police drones that people have got to scan the qr codes on the drones as they whiz past and this kind of thing i mean this is it's very much a dystopic police state but china is probably the only country in the world where you can get away with that because of the incredible sort of chinese communist party top down the fact that everyone is so reliant on the state and the state has actually done a very good job in planning their society to make sure that there are enough homes for people etc etc unlike here you know so there's a big dependence on the state in china but but 
it's 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 now what's happening is that the state is starting to cash in its chips if you want so the public has been dependent on it for years and it's now saying right now you're totally dependent on us we're going to start to push you around and see what we can get away with and they seem to be trying an experiment on the public there with these extended unnecessary lockdowns and uh, the human spirit is pushing back isn't it it's pushing back i tell you what's chilling though photographs of detention camps which which look they look colossal gargantuan things with the capacity to to house maybe hundreds of thousands of people and this is not bullshit like th- th- these these look genuine these these are uh, internment or or detention camps could it be could it be that they 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 hold that over the population or they hold those camps over the population to threaten them to keep them you know acquiescing or are the chinese planning to put hundreds of thousands if not millions of people into detention camps well i think to a certain extent they have not I don't know how many, but uh, they are putting people into detention camps. They have been. And look, the thing that's most chilling about that, from my point of view, sorry to be so selfish about the poor Chinese people's plight, but there are elements in the West that are looking at this with glee, rubbing their hands, and they see China as a kind of test bed for a lot of the things that they would like to do. I remember seeing photographs of uh, John D. Rockefeller over in Nazi Germany at the beginning, uh, well, before the Second World War, started but when they started incarcerating uh, criminal communists and uh, you know trade unionists and people like that gypsies etc and some jews in the concentration camps in the labor camps and looking at it rubbing their hands you know the rockefellers from the states going well great you know you've got uh, imprisoned people in prison that you're just kind of getting to do build things for you and make things for you wouldn't that be wonderful and so there's definitely ever since then and possibly before there is this evil element in the west which has been you know, looking at what's going on in China and and seeing what they can learn from it, seeing what they can implement here. We've now got these uh, clean air zones. We've just had one yesterday for the first time implemented in in Bristol. Uh, It's called a clean air zone. There's actually no real need. We've looked at the figures of of the how clean the air is. It's very clean. It's getting cleaner. And um, the the idea here is to have these little uh, cameras on every corner following your car tracking you so really this is about i think it's not only about you know a toll uh putting a toll on everybody who comes in in a vehicle into the town and we've just seen exactly what's happened in london with this with the with the zone announcement that the zone is being extended right out to the boundaries of the greater london area so everybody that's driving around uh, in, anywhere is being not only told uh, you know, charge there, whatever it is, £12.50, what's that, about £4,000 a year, just to sort of go down to the shops back in a car. So it's a toll. It's just a way of raising money from everybody for just doing what you need to do, just to kind of get on and feed your family and get on with the day. Uh, so what what we've seen is, you know, I think it's also surveillance. Of course, they're tracking every single vehicle, seeing where people are, where people are going. Uh, it, it, you know, what's happening with the uh, increasing move to the cashless society, more and more surveillance and tracking. And so that's what bothers me most about what I see in China, is that there are people over here who are looking at this gleefully and saying, look, you know, this is the way to get it implemented. We tried it in China and it worked. And... I see these signs in Greater Manchester. I live in Salford, near Media City, as you know. And I've noticed in the last few months, driving around, 
uh, signs which have appeared on the footpaths, which you can see in your cars, saying that this area is under consideration for clean air zone, basically. So this is spreading out right across the country. It won't, well, it won't be just London. In Manchester, there's been a very good uh, legal challenge and pushback against it, um, in a, and political challenge too, you know, threatening Andy Burnham and saying, look, uh, there is... There's all sorts of um, problems uh, with this. Those, those poor people won't be able to afford it. So there's been political and legal pushback in Manchester. I think they wanted to introduce the zone there. Uh, you know, we've. Well, I, I, I was actually with a group of people in Bristol looking at uh, getting a legal challenge in to the clean air zone in Bristol based on the fact that they'd already reached the government targets for clean air that they said they were trying to get. And um, the, the the lawyers we approached in Bristol just refused to take the case on and, and refused, I mean, to be paid by us. We'd raised about two grand to get them to send a letter before claim into the council uh, and they just refused to do it. So this is a political decision by the lawyers that they're saying, oh, no, 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 we think it's really good, all these green policies, you know. So... Uh, yeah, we, we were going to do that. We couldn't do it. Uh, so I don't know exactly what the situation is in Manchester, but you know these they're trying to roll this out right across the country. So not only are we paying uh, for uh, car tax every year for the maintenance of the roads, we're also paying the tax through the fuel we buy every year. We're now also going to be paying for every inch we drive on the roads. And this is, uh, you know, it's, it's a slow bit by bit rollout um the Siemens is the company, the Nazi company in the Second World War that was doing all the electronics for the German aircraft and tanks and stuff. Uh, so they're the company that are in charge of all this. And down in Poole in Dorset is the uh, research centre and the development centre where they've uh, developed all this technology to uh, pull right across Britain. Uh, I don't like that. I don't want a, a Nazi company running our uh, little cameras everywhere, keeping track of us. Do you? No, I certainly do not. Just before we talk about Ian Davis' article, I'll put the website up. Ian, It's iandavis.com, uh, dear listeners. I-A-I-N, Davis, D-A-V-I-S.com. Before we talk about this really interesting piece that he's done on accelerationism, uh, and we are talking about that next, Tony Gosling is our guest, thisweek.org.uk. Not the BCFM Politics Show, live every Friday at five o'clock. It's a brilliant programme, it really is. I listen to it all the time. Tell me this, um, I don't... Elon Musk amnesty for people who are kicked <laughs> off of Twitter. I don't buy. I tell you why I don't buy it because ultimately it won't be governments um, that 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 force Elon Musk to censor, uh, to to you, you know to censor people and to censor accounts. Ultimately, the private sector will do that. We're seeing Apple already and Tim Cook. Musk has tried to engage the CEO of Apple on Twitter, asking him why are you pulling your advertising. I don't buy this leniency and amnesty for people. I don't buy this free speech absolutism from Elon Musk. Am I wrong? What do you think, Tony? I think you are wrong. I mean, I don't believe he, he is a particularly, you know, he's not some sort of guru. You don't want his poster up on the wall. But he's got, I think, a more lenient idea of free speech than the people that were running Twitter in the past. Uh, you know, these it's all a question of the, you know, the lesser of various different evils, isn't it? I think, yeah, so Musk, Musk is most definitely, as Whitney Webb talks about, uh, very, very, you know, correctly is part of the problem. Uh, but he has got a propensity to allow a bit more free speech, and so let's, uh, you know, what for goodness' sake, let's uh, let's go with that. I, I mean, I'm, I was surprised to see uh, the big tech giants and the people that own the, the stocks and shares in them, uh, particularly in Twitter, to allow him to do this. He's obviously got quite a lot of financial clout, with a 
lot of which has come, of course, through the uh, all these fake green policies to do with electric cars and things like that, and uh, driverless cars, which sounds like an abs- only an absolute maniac would allow something like that to uh, uh, yeah. go on the market. Uh, so he's done very well out of that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, if he's going to allow more people, more free speech on there, which I think he probably will, um, and maybe allow people like you and Donald Trump back on, I've never actually been banned, even though I've been shadow banned on Twitter. Uh, I'll be I'll be pleased to see it because Twitter is quite a useful tool. Uh, I think that, though, the, these algorithms, this is one of the things that's coming out um, about the – uh, the online harms bill, which is now called the online safety bill, and the you know we've heard today very good news that they're going to be taking out this clause in the bill uh, in the UK, which will uh, was saying that if it's if you, you can be prosecuted for having something which is legal but harmful on yeah. there, well not prosecuted but having your content removed, and if you're if you don't remove the content, the service provider will be threatened legally, uh, and will, will, will the service provider can be fined if they don't remove your content content for you uh, or remove your entire website effectively as well. Now, that that being taken out of the the act, uh, the bill as it is, is is really good news, I think. And, uh, you know, anything that allows a bit more free speech on the internet. Listen, we've had a golden age of the internet. Like in the 60s and 70s, we had a golden age of television. And we really got to do everything we can to stop the clampdown as it's the only place of free speech left, really. I mean, you know, know, I've been uh, elbowed off the airwaves. You've been elbowed off the airwaves. And and this is the only place we can still talk to uh, to listeners and help inform people because the people who we are up against are very powerful and they like to make sure that their narrative gets out there and voices like yours and mine uh, get squashed, literally. I mean, this is a Soviet-style system where, you know, you, you're not going to allow criticism. This is the Chinese system where you don't allow pres- uh, the president you know, you can't laugh during the national anthem and this yeah. sort of thing. Now, I think it's essential to laugh at the national anthem, you know, every once in a while. And uh, maybe not on Remembrance Sunday with a load of veterans around. That's probably not the best time to do it. But the idea that it's a crime to do it, uh, you know, that's, that is uh, where we're headed if the internet is shut down. And it's good to see Musk, uh, you know, he's probably going to allow a bit more speech. And it's also great to see this announcement today, of really good news to see this announcement today about the online safety bill. Okay, final word on that. Um, LiveLeak.com's Hayden Hewitt, who is a, a good friend of mine and looks after the website for me, is convinced and has been for some years that we're blindsided by what governments are doing with social media companies. Ultimately, the private sector will drive the censorship and will drive the paradigm into dystopia is what he believes and he's convinced of it. He no, makes a compelling he argument. He may be right, yeah. I think he may well be right. I think the government has, uh, is, has been pretty much co-opted by these various lobbies and the you know the, the tech giant lobby is a very powerful one. You know, we've obviously got the pharmaceutical lobby, the arms lobby. These uh, private interests now, I think, are far stronger than individual governments and the, you know, the, this is why our, you know, our MPs are actually quite important to be able to push back against the, these people. Otherwise, what we've got is this kind of fascistic dystopia where the drive for private corporate profit is all that matters in society and that anything that threatens it is legislated against and shut down and criminalised. You know, we've seen, you know, the the the, uh, the activities of the police basically shut down. The, the uh, CID departments across the UK over the last 20 years investigating criminals have just been 
closed. I mean, there's very, very little of that goes on at all now. No investigation of organised crime, because, you know, as we saw two years ago, when the government implemented this bill to which the Labour Party didn't even bother to oppose, uh, to allow government agencies to have complete free reign and break the law with impunity. I mean, that to me was just like the death knell of democracy. And it was a sign, a very sure sign, that that uh, that uh, organised crime was now running the government. So all the little things that we can have pushing back against that, uh, you know, very, very important and well worth preserving. But your friend at Live League, I think, is is right about the, you know, there's the pressure of these various lobbies is is becoming immense. And, you know, goodness knows who's going to win out in the end. They've all the money in the world. Tony Gosling, the broadcaster, former BBC journalist, is our guest. Ian Davis is a former councillor. He's a blogger and an author. He has written um, an article. You can find it at his website, iandavis.com. Ian is spelled I-A-I-N. And it's about something called accelerationism and accelerationists, the people uh, behind it, people who argue the technology, computer technology, capitalist technology should be expedited, should be sped up and intensified, particularly in times like these. Now, he says in his very, very good piece, very in-depth piece, Ian, that it's a fairly new uh, concept to him, but it's been around since the 1970s. I know that it isn't a fairly new concept to yourself, uh, Tony. Give our listeners uh, a, a, a definition that we can understand accelerationism and explain how it's working today. Well, I think it's really important. I jumped onto ZB News Talk, which is one of the best TV, sorry, radio stations in New Zealand, where the guy that does the breakfast show on there has been banned from uh, press conferences by Jacinda because he's asking her too many awkward questions, which is always a a good sign to talk about accelerationism. uh, Because I was prompted to do it. It was some very, some intelligent young um, New Zealander phoned in to the phone in and said, well, we keep hearing about the government is doing this for ideological reasons the government's doing that it's privatizing water in even though it's a left-wing government over in new zealand and they're trying to take control of the water on people's roofs and god knows what and people's boreholes uh etc and their septic tanks there's a lot of people out in new zealand living out in the what they call the wop wops out in the middle of nowhere in the bush and places like that and the government's trying to take over all this water and uh but uh, and and what she said was, look, what what is this ideology? You know, it's an ideological thing they're doing and uh, trying to shut down livestock farming, things like that. Uh, and the answer is, and I phoned in to, to to say the answer is accelerationism. That's what the ideology is. And what Ian's done is he's shown in this article various uses of the word accelerate. And we're going to accelerate this, we're going to accelerate that, we're going to accelerate change. Now, what accelerationism really is, is about accelerating crises. Now, we all know about um, Naomi Klein and the shock doctrine. The idea is you create a crisis, uh, you create panic, you create chaos of various sorts, and then you control the outcome. People are much more prepared to accept uh, your solution if, if if it's a way out of some kind of chaos. So it's a pretty simple concept, really. But the thing is, where does it end? Where do these crises end? Uh, is it a war? Is it going to, you know, is it economic crisis? Uh, is it ha- having all the, I mean, we've got this crazy situation 
especially in the UK now, where we could be looking at power cuts. Well, you know, the Ukrainians have just had the Russians blow up their power supplies. And so they're having power cuts. But we haven't had uh, anyone blow up our power supplies. As far as I know, they're just saying, oh, dear, oh, dear, I'm very sorry, but we haven't actually got enough electricity to go around. Uh, well, they do, I think what they're doing is they're choking off the supply a bit to jack the price up. So, you know, it's an excuse to just increase the price by shutting off these old coal fire power stations and gas stations and things like that. You know, it's an ideological reason. But the ideology is accelerationism. And what uh, he's, I think, very importantly saying in this article, um, which I think is the best I've seen so far on this this idea, is the is that the the whole concept, the whole this whole accelerationist idea is ultimately going to make i mean the idea is for example the climate crisis the solution to the climate crisis is going to be far worse than the climate than crisis, any crisis so yeah. this is the, yeah. this is the idea is that you create a solution to whatever crisis it happens to be which is actually going to make it worse it's not going to be a solution brilliant article and i think you know this is exactly what we're seeing going on here with the oh dear we've got this terrible climate change thing going on so we're going to have to shut down all of our oil fired power stations and Oh dear, no one's going to be able to heat their homes, not just because they can't afford it, but also because they're going to be the electricity is going to be switched off. So this is the sort of thing he's talking about in the article, which I think is brilliant. But the reason I, I asked you uh, if I could come on is because I was interviewing David Livingston. Um, this is the guy who wrote, uh, is amongst other books, including The Dying God, which is a brilliant look at ancient belief systems compared to today is transhumanism the history of a dangerous idea and his look at transhumanism i think is one of the best i've ever seen now alan's in the middle of interviewing him uh, this is about two or three months ago and uh, for my show and i think it was about the maybe it was yeah it was about the 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 death of alexander dugin's daughter because he's done a lot of work on dugin and her assassination over in russia and and he mentioned this guy's name, and at the end of the interview, after I'd finished, I said, look, who is this guy, Nick Land, uh, this accelerationist guy who's one of the main authors of it, on Ideologues? And I, said, I said, I think I know him. I think actually he was my best mate at school for a couple of years between the age of 14 and 16. And it turns out it's the same guy. No way. So, I know, and that's what exactly what he said. No way, no yeah. way, in his own in his own voice. So, I mean, it's interesting to look at Nick. I mean, he was known when we were at school in the secondary school. It was a grammar school, Langley Park School, nineteen seventy three. I think uh, was when I went there, and then uh, roughly anyway. And it, well, it was a grammar school in seventy five. Shirley Williams turned it comprehensive, and of course, it went rather downhill after that. Um, but uh, we were there's a few things about our school. Um, it was next door to the Wellcome Trust which is I mean you couldn't make this stuff up could you really no that was their main base uh in the UK uh, at Park Langley which was a uh, big uh, it was a basically a big mansion house where actually Chris Busby I was chatting to recently worked there whilst I was at school he was just across through the fence working in the Wellcome Trust buildings there uh and Nick was known as Nick the Nazi at school now you might say to me what were you doing as friends with Nick the Nazi well okay Nick Nick the Nazi was very intelligent and a fascinating guy very dark sense of humor and uh it was weird because in 1978 after I'd known him for two or three years uh he suddenly came back after the summer holidays I hadn't been able to get in touch with him I've been around to his house a lot I got to know his parents his brother etc and he disappeared during the summer holidays and um 
And he came back uh, in 78 when we came into the sixth form. He was a communist. He was no longer a Nazi. <laughs> so anyway, so he, I th- found an absolutely fascinating uh, person to, or kid really. We used to play war games a lot. You know, so I'd go around to his place and we would play, for example, the uh, Six Day War. This is when we were like 15 years old. And we'd spend most of the afternoon being supplied by sandwiches by his mum and cups of tea, uh, fighting. You know, he'd be the uh, Israelis, I'd be the Arabs or the other way around. And how would you do that? Huh? How would you do that? How, how did it work? Well, Reenacting okay, so, this war. Yeah. So it's basically these are tabletop bo- uh, war games. So wow, I didn't uh, know. Like with a map, with a map and uh, little counters. So I mean, you know, okay. So sad little fifteen-year-old kids. No, 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 but, no. I'm not saying that at all. That's not what I'm inferring. I genuinely didn't know these things existed. I'm fascinated. Yeah. So it's. Uh, I think it's like Avalon Hill were big game producers in the states. There was a book called a magazine came out called The War Gamer here in the UK, which would come every month or every two months or something. You get a little war game with it, like you fight the Battle of Tobruk or whatever, uh, and and it just taught me a lot about war and about the way war operates. And and you know, and I really did like Nick. You know, he, he okay, so he was a Nazi. He was had Nazi sympathies, and but you know, he didn't seem to me like a particularly you know. He took it seriously it was almost he like it was a dangerous. kind of t- tongue, in, tongue in cheek thing yeah. uh so yeah so it, it was it was a bizarre place to be you know we were very close to for example the um area where i mean we used to go out and mess around as a sort of he set up this thing called the british free army which was about eight of us who were a sort of guerrilla unit. You know, we were only sort of 14 years old. So, you know, you're kind of messing around and we, we would do operations on the, on the like interesting stuff. Like for example, uh, in the nighttime, we had to get from one Nick's idea, of course, we'd have to get from one side of the common, which was about a mile through the uh, common at night on our own. So the idea is overcome fear, you know. Right. So anyway, so he I, the thing that um, um, interested me so much about Nick was that he he had this kind of massive amount of knowledge, and I had no idea he hadn't learned it at school uh, where it came from. Really, his dad, by the way, was a director of Shell in South Africa. Uh, which obviously was a you know it was a bit of a hot potato in the late seventies nineteen eighties as um, South Africa was uh, you know under a very strict apartheid yeah, there was a nice. very strong anti apartheid campaign uh, in in the UK incidentally I did try and contact once I found out about this I did try and contact Nick through a mutual friend who's uh, up at Worcester College who's a fine art teacher who known him when he was at Warwick because he went off to after school Nick went off to Warwick University and Nick didn't you know hasn't got back to him on hasn't got back to either of us actually um but uh so he was he was at warwick university and he became one of the senior lecturers in philosophy after we left school uh he went to sussex university and studied down there where i visited him uh where by the way they were making uh lsd uh, in the organic chemistry yeah. lags, not him, but not him, but know. somebody else. <laughs> but, I mean, this is a guy. Hang it, on, let me get this right now. This, this is where we put my powers of listening to the test. This, right this is this is a guy who had Nazi sympathies, but ended up um, turning kind of communist. He, he's yeah. going to this school with you next door to the Welcome Trust. Jeremy Farrer runs that today. It's really interesting That's stuff. Right. This his old man is in Shell. 
at a time when you, you, you said it yourself that we, but of course all the issues with um, petrol and oil and shortages in, in the late 70s this is um, this is a really interesting character you know what's well, going to yeah, happen don't you profiteering the important thing about profiteering, it is profiteering yeah. in this apartheid state you know putting down the, the, the local population very much a sort of old style you know racist uh, style um, colonialism still really in South Africa back in the 70s. Hang, hang on to you, hang on a second. Do you think, so this guy now is, these days he lectures in philosophy, sociology, something not, like that? Not now. I mean, not no, now. That, he's, he's now over in China. Right, so he's um, a spook then. Know, you, you, you think this guy's a spook, right? This is what you're telling me about this Well, guy. I don't know. No, I don't think so necessarily. No? I mean, quite what he's part of, I don't know. I don't think he's just, so when he was at Warwick, he's a, he's a, a big, and even when he was at school, he was really into to Nietzsche. Of course, Nietzsche is Hitler's number one philosopher. Uh, Nietzsche is the man who is about as anti-God as you can get uh, as in philosophy. He's, um, his book Beyond Good and Evil, Man and Superman, he thought the idea that man was just a, a wimp believing in God and had to become, which, which also fits in with transhumanism, doesn't it, in a weird way? It does, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so when he was up in Warwick, uh, this uh, mutual friend of ours, who I met recently uh, from uh, from Worcester Worcester College, the fine art teacher, was saying Nick was conjuring or trying to conjure demons whilst he was stud, you know a philosophy lecturer at Warwick. He was living in a house uh, which used to be owned by Alistair Crowley up there. Your kid, and, give over. Uh, this is this is this is where you said to me, <laughs> April, April fucking fuck. I'm not stupid. You think Irish people are stupid? I'm not buying into this. So now all of well, a sudden he's in a house the- that Alistair Crowley used to own, and he's trying to summon demons, presumably with a Ouija board. Well, I've no idea, but it's in the Guardian article. There are a couple of articles. He, in fact, uh, Ian Davis refers to uh, the Guardian article, uh, which I think was 2017, one of the Guardian long reads about the accelerationists. I think the headline is something around the accelerationists are predicting the world. We, we, how did the accelerationists right. predict the world we're now living in? You know, so there, there, there was definitely something you know peculiar up there. I spoke to several people who were with him up at Warwick afterwards, and he was always quite secretive about his past down at Langley Park with people like me uh, but you know the other aspect of this is the hallucinogenic drugs Nick was really I mean you know I wasn't adverse to you know taking an interest in things like magic mushrooms but Nick was absolutely obsessed with him. in fact one of the <clears throat> one of the uh, near one of his near roommates down at Sussex University when he was down there doing philosophy uh, said to me oh well, you know he's on LSD almost every day you know so you know we, we think it's a little bit over the top so there's obviously He's got he's got an interest in these drugs, and uh, you know I don't I don't hold that against him in any way. But he was a bit obsessive. But the other thing is is is, is this whole idea of game theory seems you know Nick was really into this into whole idea. Games, if you can yeah. turn anything into a game, then you can get a kind of you know chess computer to look at it. You can you can win it. You can win whatever situation you're in. If you turn it into a game, you win. You can win. So turn life uh, into a game. Turn this 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 kind of lurch towards uh, social crediting, implantables, uh, the metaverse. Make this somehow 
game-like for people, the reality they're in, and they'll participate in it? Is that where it goes, something like that? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think that's it. I mean, Nick's definitely got... I mean, one of the great sort of saving graces of Nick was... Uh, and it's a real pity that he didn't respond, because I'd love to have had a discussion with this about him and record it. You know, maybe he's just a bit hesitant about speaking to someone that he knew at such a young age. Uh, but it, it, I can remember the last conversation I had with him, other than on the phone, which, you know, I was chatting with him when he was up at Warwick a few times when I was at the BBC, actually, but uh, was was when we were at school, before we went to college, uh, before he went to university and I went off up to Ilkley to study English, uh, it was about Christianity. And I stopped him on the stairs because he was, by that point, he was, you know, he was off on another thing. He was after girls and things like that. I didn't see so much of him when he, when we went in. We were sort of 17, 18 years old. And I stopped him. I said, Nick, one of the things I always wanted to ask you is about God, yeah? Uh, because, you know, you're always arguing against God, but you can't really prove it, can you? What do you think? And he said to me on the stairs at the sixth form block at uh, Langley Park, he said, well, actually, it's about 50-50 really, isn't it? And then he turned and dashed upstairs. <laughs> so, you know, he's he was, I think in a way, he was playing life like a bit of a game, you know. So I'm going to have some fun here and play with all these various different ideas, which, you know, I sort of like that about the guy, uh, that he was playing with ideas. But I just think, you know, with particularly with the drugs, you can become obsessed. You know, you can start to think that what you're seeing when you're hallucinating on one of these drug trips is more real than reality. And a lot of people have flipped out. And I wonder whether, because uh, I think the reason he got uh, elbowed out at Warwick was to do with giving drugs to students and things like that. It was something like that was going on up there. I just think it was, you know, it's useful to just unload a bit of this because it's been kind of boiling up inside of me to talk about Nick, you know, because yeah. it's so bizarre that I should know somebody. Well, we have to but find, we have to reach, we have to reach, it's incumbent upon me to try and reach the, the guy now to, to cover my arse and to say, listen, we've been discussing you uh, unexpectedly on this programme. It'd be lovely <laughs> to get right of reply. Uh, there's only two real journalists left in the UK. You're one and I'm the other. I'll try and find the guy. Nick, Nick, what, what, Nick Land, is that? his name did you Nick, say Nick, Nick, yeah Nick Land Nick and Land. Uh, he's he's the author of several he's written some books I found them very dull I have sorry to say I did actually buy one of his books to see what, what's Nick writing about and I just couldn't finish it in fact there's also a very good article which I'm happy to send you uh, written by Mike Peters, who became a friend of mine. He's dead now, but he was um, a sociologist at Leeds Metropolitan University, and he wrote the best paper on the Bilderbergers I've ever seen. I think it came out about 1996, called Bilderberg and the Project for European Unification. Uh, but Mike did an article in his own Here and Now magazine, which was a situationist magazine that he and some other lecturers uh, and, I suppose, sort of uh, intellectuals of various sorts in Leeds used to put out called Here and Now. Uh, he did a he did a he did a um, an article about Nick, <laughs> bizarrely, called Cyber Drivel, Cyber Drivel, uh, in the here and now, and it is an absolutely brilliant, entertaining. It's looking at Nick and his kind of ramblings in philosophy, and how it all was a load of nonsense and rubbish. Is He's basically right? saying saying that uh you know we're gonna we're gonna be living in this amazing kind of you know one of the other things and which connects with this is is william gibson nick got me into william gibson nick got me into deep purple Jimi hendrix and various other things when we were that age you know but but william gibson uh, the author who's a cyberpunk writer uh and, and it's just another amazing thing. Like, this is 1979. I'm having conversations with Nick. Nick is telling me about the internet. Oh, by the way, the internet's going to be coming along soon, blah, blah, blah. Now, this is, where are we? No, 
15, 16, 17 years before it really became the internet and it started rolling and out. And he was you know, talking he, about it, was he? By the way, yeah. in case listeners want to know, there is a Wikipedia page for Nick Land and it's really interesting. I've been listening to Tony uh, <laughs> and, and reading it at the same time so you can check it out. It's very, very interesting. This is a guy we must speak to. Either you must speak to him. I mean, it'll have to be you. You're his old schoolmate and, and then, then we have to start doing a bit of digging down into you and find out who Tony Gosling really is that he, know, <laughs> that he knows all these people because they'll be calling you some sort of shill now. But he, he, yeah, this is really some of the stuff he's been into this guy you've described it all brilliantly there the occult cybernetics uh, post-structuralist philosophy to describe the phenomena of techno-capitalist acceleration this guy's really really interesting I mean, to, 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 to say the least this guy hey listen you mentioned Alistair Crowley yeah. um, old friends of mine and new friends believe that Crowley, the, the, the famed or infamous occultist, was in, was in reality working for MI5, was he? Well, he, I think he was very close to the intelligence services. I forget who it was now, but somebody very credible, oh gosh, wish I could remember who, uh, uh, was talking about Crowley being one of the first people to interview Rudolf Hess when he landed and was arrested. He landed in Scotland, crash-landed, and I think he parachuted down, didn't he, when he fled Nazi Germany. Yeah, I think he was very close to the intelligence services. There's, there's two, as far as I know, connections with Cro between Nick and Crowley. One is this uh, area where Nick's uh, parents live just on the edge on West Common Road of, of uh, Hayes Common near Hayes. I mean, I used to bike to school. Nick would take the train from Hayes to Eden Park. And uh, and that just connected to that is this, well, it's the US Ambassador's House is, is there. It's a place called Locks Bottom. And uh, the it's a big private estate. And I can always remember as kids, we'd go past there from time to time and, and just wonder at this. It was a kind of piece of stonework next to the bus stop on the edge of this big private estate, which had a satanic symbol in the, in, you know, written in the stones there. And, and if you look at, back on the Guardian website, uh, some of the stuff they've put up from the old days, which is now online, from the 1930s, as a letter uh, by the uh, principal or vice principal of, uh, I think it's Ox yes, Oxford University, telling Alistair Crowley, no, you cannot come and speak because you're a Satanist. You cannot come and speak to the Poetry Society at Oxford University. You're not welcome. Cancel culture was alive and well back then, was it? Uh, uh, it was, yeah. And, yeah. And, and it was addressed to Alistair Crowley at Locks Bottom. Yeah, so lock spot in the same place. What about what about <laughs> listeners? A very very good friend of mine. I've got two very very good friends texting me as we speak. They're fascinated by this. One of my very good friends reckons that MI5 probably worked for Alistair Crowley. <laughs> yes, well, I think yes, I think the intelligence services, uh, you know, initially was set up with a decent principle. The idea is that, you know, we need to know what's going on in order to avert threats and things like that. There's no sense in having an army on the field without knowing, you know, where what the other side is up to. Uh, and the occult, I think, have infiltrated that in a big way. And in fact, a lot of criminals have infiltrated it, knowing that when they're working within that atmosphere, then they can get away with their crimes and no one's going to worry about it. You have to remember, of course, that, say, back in the 30s and 40s and, you know, 50s, 
50s up until the 60s the that uh, homosexuality was illegal yeah. and so a lot of gay people realized that they could go and you know work in the intelligence services and they were going to be basically above the law you know so uh, there there was there was uh, hang on hang yeah, on hang on hang on that's fascinating hang on that's fascinating i didn't i didn't know this did some gay men um seek out work in the intelligence agencies for the very reason you just gave because I, I think most definitely i mean you look at the for example the cambridge spies uh is it burgess mclean philby i'm not sure which of them were gay but certainly most of them were um and what's his name blunt um were and also i don't know about victor rothschild i'm not sure because he was I, certainly in my opinion the fifth man if you read roland perry's book roland it'd be great if you could get up if you're not spoken to roland he's still alive after writing this book in the 1990s on victor rothschild uh, called the fifth man which is an incredible piece of journalism he's an australian guy who worked in fleet street for a long time he's now back i think he's at sydney university teaching over there uh, but roland you know so so yes a lot of the there was a lot of that and and of course the idea being that these people had been fighting against the ruling class in you know for i suppose pretty good reasons really thinking that you know the the establishment in britain were just you know a horrible bunch who all they did was just take the mickey out of the poor squeeze the poor for every penny they could get every drop of blood send them to war etc and so there was a, a decent sentiment there but many of them who ended up actually uh, in the soviet union uh, realized oh actually well the soviet union is hardly the answer because it's you know it's been expunged of its spirituality it's been you know god has been completely like well not made illegal Erased. but there was just hardly yeah. any you know idea of this spiritual side and so they were kind of conned by that and and, and we're anyway, seeing that so today can i can i just mention this um it's 18 minutes to the top of the air we've got tony for another 10 or so minutes you're listening to tony gosling this week.org.uk we've been talking about accelerationism and how that's linked to the transhumanist agenda and a very interesting guest on last night from the united states dr jason dean from florida who's in private practice with his wife and he is seeing he is seeing how um you know smartphones won't be uh, they won't be the thing in 10 years' time because it'll be implantable. Very good last night on this programme. And Tony's been linking some of this together in the last uh, half an hour, speaking about a guy called Nick Land. Do go to Wikipedia. The Wikipedia page alone is very interesting. Do read iandavis.com. Read Ian's article on accelerationism. This has been an amazing hour so far. Fascinated by it. Alistair Crowley as well. Um, Nigel Farage is trending on Twitter, as is Enoch Powell. I'll, I'll give people the requisite three Three seconds to laugh out loud. The reason Enoch Powell is is trending is because Farage has uh, had a bit of a meltdown about the census information that emerged today. The ONS put out some information about the most recent census, which was last year, of course. We all got the letters through the letterboxes. We all filled them out. And some of us um, told a lot of lies in theirs, as, as I did. <laughs> I declared myself to be a non-binary um, former member of the Chinese Communist Party. No, I didn't. So, so we filled out the census forms last year. And it turns out that um, less than, for the first time ever, less than 50% of people in Wales and in England 
identify as Christian. I'll get Tony's thoughts on that in 10 seconds. But also that there are 1.2 million more Asian people and possibly Muslim people in England and Wales than there were 10 years ago. Uh, Nigel Farage, of course, in reality, is delighted about this because it keeps him in the news, gives him something to complain about. But Enoch Powell, does history... Um, remember Enoch Powell unkindly. Was Enoch Powell uh, a, a racist or was I right when I watched Enoch Powell speak with um, the great Dick Cavett in America? Was Enoch Powell posing legitimate questions at the time about society? What was he, do you think, Powell? Was he just dyed in the wool, filthy racist or was there something else going on? What a question. Well, with Enoch Powell, he wasn't, no, he just he wasn't just a dyed-in-the-wool filthy racist. He was pointing out that uh, we were going to lose our cultural identity. Now, that might be good or bad, depending on which attitude, you, you know, a lot of the Irish would be rather pleased to see that the English lose their cultural identity. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he was warning that, uh, that, that, that there, I think, I think it wasn't it, Rivers of Bloody talked rivers about. Rivers of he was Blood, saying, the Look, famous you know, speech. We should be looking at race wars here. Yeah. Um, and, of course, there's been attempts by the state to get those race wars going. I think the, the, the human nature of the Brits is actually not quite quite like that. There is an understanding, I think, that you know, a, a, a nation like like Britain that's had such an enormous empire has got to kind of take it on the chin. You know, you've you've exploited all these countries, uh, and then so some of some people from those countries are likely to come and uh, want to exploit you, or at least you know take advantage of some of the uh, uh, the benefits of empire and come back. But I mean, you know, obviously there is this this attempt at the moment to bring um many many economic migrants into the uk what that does is it is it uh, keeps house prices up number one number two it's a massive load of cheap labor it's extremely good for organized crime the organized criminals uh, have got um a whole load of of uh, you know workers for them and it, it's it's it undermines your national integrity of course by having you know you not being able to control your borders so i think the government is you know is is basically what we've got is we've got a, a government that was elected to do Brexit and actually the Europeans and organised crime in Europe is saying, well, look, uh, you've got no Brexit at all. Look, we've got just as many people coming in uh, as when you try to uh, get out of the EU. So up yours, you know, so I think that that's basically what this is about. It's a, an attack on Britain for Brexit. And most people are none the wiser. Um, because it works, this this race baiting works. It does turn man against his brother, woman against her sister. It will do what it was designed to do. The Albanians coming over for a better life. Yes, they are aided by criminal gangs, but they're only doing what I would do. You know, it's what I did do. I'm an, I'm a migrant in this country. I'm an Irishman. I, I came here because things were better for me uh, here than they were in Ireland back when I first came here many, many years ago. So 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 I can see that and I can see why they want to collapse civilization, why they want to collapse um, the um, welfare system, why they want to collapse um, the employment. We can see that. But the majority are still driven by the media narrative and they do what they are meant to do, they other people. And it's so hard to break through that, Tony, isn't it? Well, I don't know. I think 
think, uh, yeah, I mean, you've got the very genuine difference between the unionised labour and the scab labour, you know, so that's very real. People who are trying to protect their, you know, working together in an industry to try and protect their paying conditions and other people who are coming along to undermine that, who are going to work for next to nothing and don't really care about the long term. So, I mean, that, yeah, but I mean, there's been obviously attempts to set people against each other. Of course there has. So the wider question about Christianity, uh, I mean, oof. You know, this is uh, this is the fault of the mass media, I think, mostly, and it's also the fault of the Freemasons in infiltrating the church, Satanists infiltrating the church. One of the main, I mean, the Satanists have got two main objects. One is abortion; they love abortion for whatever reason. But the other one is infiltrating churches. As soon as they see a successful church, they want to send people in there. They want to, you know, send someone in who's on the kind of nicey nicey, but uh, is going to try and undermine it, and they get a kick out of undermining churches. So there's been a big operation i think against churches i mean if you look go back to the, the one of the best conspiracy tomes ever written which is the proofs of a conspiracy against all religions in government by john robeson in the 1790s there's what he talks about infiltration of the churches you've got to infiltrate the churches you've got to come up with all sorts of different organizations under a different name but really it's controlled by you and you don't need to be a genius to go around and work out well there's you know various pressure groups out there uh, that are pushing for basically immorality you know this whole idea of uh, the, the transgender people who say that they can just self-identify as whatever it is a mermaid a cat uh, this totally undermines um, people's uh, kids particularly sanity you know what you're saying is that the r reality is no longer reality reality is whatever you say it is and this is totally undermining any possibility that the kids have got to make sense of the world Fair enough, T. We're, uh, I want to mention, before we run out of time, it's important that we, we support the independent media. Um, so I'm going to mention them. I am. You're not to mention them. Uh, or you're going to have to pay me for the privilege. Um, mm. Please do pick up a copy of The Traitors of Arnhem, Martin Borman and the Bilderberg Group, or and uh, another excellent read, The Siege of Heaven, How Breaking the Grip of Oligarchy Will Unleash the World's Human well, Potential. These are actually, books by Tony. Actually, that one is, that one's not available as a paperback. That's just as an e-book. But the one, I, the, what, the Siege of Heaven Reader, it's a slightly different title, but it's a completely different book, which is the anthology. I think for anybody that doesn't want to read me, you know, scribbling away, uh, this is other people's writing. This is, I've just acted as an editor here and brought together I, what I think are all sorts of fascinating scribblings from the last... 400 years or so of uh, you know stuff where which proves how things really work one of the key things in there is some of the documents around the p2 scandal uh, in italy which showed and this goes back to john robeson's book the proofs of a conspiracy as well because uh, he mentions the propaganda lodges is p2 the propaganda due lodge in italy in the 1980s which was running the country from behind the scenes run by a fascist grandmaster freemason licio jelly where they had all the bankers they had in there they had the uh, media tycoons, they had the oil energy barons, they had some of the senior uh, party leaders in the country all sitting around a table running the country from behind the scenes. And this is, you know, this is all documented. The, often, you know, you don't often get, um, you know, the BBC looking into the secret government behind no, the scenes. No, you never do. There it is, and it was exposed beautifully. And that, so that's the Siege of Heaven Reader, which has got all sorts of little bits and pieces like that in there. Yeah, you'll find them on Bilderberg.org or this week. .uk. That that is brilliant. That yeah, you have you, what you've done there is collated evidence over the centuries to to prove that secret societies um, 
were clubs basically, um, cartels running governments and dictating the direction that governments were taking societies. It's, and it's and I think important. this is where the accelerationists come in, is that there is this need by the rich and powerful. They want to have people to pay uh, to justify their ego and their power. They haven't got any moral justification for it, but it's a bit like Ayn Rand back in the 1940s. She came out with her own philosophy, which was basically uh, trying to make selfishness seem good you know, and, and normal and correct. Correct, and you know that's what the accelerationists are doing. So that, that we've got all these crises, crises that they're creating, and false remedies to the crises that they're creating in lots of different areas, economic, climate, all sorts, war, etc. But ultimately, what about the end of the world? How about that for a crisis? Uh, they could be trying to create that too, I think. I mean, if you look at the, uh, what, the, what this is all leading to, it's almost like the mother of all crises, where they, all these crises come together, including war in the Middle East, war between America and China all together. This, I think, is what their actual aim is, and, what, and that's why I'd really like to press Nick about if I ever get a chance to interview him. Well, I hope you do, mate. Folks, you can listen to Tony Gosling every Friday at five o'clock, thisweek.org.uk. Uh, check out Bilderberg.org for the books we mentioned. Great to have you back in the country, pal, and I look forward to speaking to you. I think we should make it our business to do another one of these before Christmas. And uh, just thanks again, T. All right. Thank you, and God bless Richie, and God bless you listeners. Mind yourself, Tony. Tony Gosling, former BBC journalist, the presenter, the man behind, the producer of uh, thisweek.org. Excuse me, the not the BCFM Politics Show. That is the name of the programme. It's live every Friday at five o'clock and uh, it's really a good listen. It's an important listen. Thanks to T for today. It's seven and a half minutes to the top of the air. Back with some of your comments in a, in a couple of seconds. Colds, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases, a nuisance, but we all get them. Now more than ever, it is essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko Protocol, Immune X365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. As a special launch offer to UK listeners of The Richie Allen Show, you will receive a discount of 15% by using the code RichieAllen365 at checkout. Go to Immunex365.co.uk to get yours now. And with free two-day track delivery. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Thanks to Back B2 uh, says thanks for having Tony on again, Richie. What a polymath he is. David says there are currently 20 plus ambulances outside Leicester Royal Infirmary. Accident and emergency is completely rammed. What's wrong with people? It's not even winter yet. Systemic collapse is on the cards, says David. No power, no feck all. Police emergency measures, then digital currency introduction, says David there. Richard says, in my opinion, selflessness is wrong. <laughs> okay. Nelly, thanks for your message. It's a bit long. I'm running out of time. I'm going to have to wrap the programme. But thank you. Melanie says, Agenda 21 is chugging away in the background. Brexit is merely a distraction. Thank you f for that. number of you have come on to talk to me about how governments are, or to tell me, are effectively, simply, merely organised crime gangsters. I think what you've got with governments, I think I've said this many times over the years, doesn't mean I'm right, it's just my, op my opinion. Uh, prime Minister's 
and secretaries of state are, in my opinion, of course, front men and women for the agenda. That's all they are. It isn't their design. The unfolding agendas are not designed by prime ministers, in my opinion, I must say. They are given these agendas to deliver to me and you, front men and women. That's what it is, in my opinion. That's about it for today. Uh, That went fairly quickly. If you are going to settle down and have a bit of escapism with the football, I hope you enjoy England play Wales momentarily in about five minutes' time. I'm back with you tomorrow at five o'clock. Now, Professor Ian Plymer is on the programme tomorrow. He's written a book called Green Murder about the so-called climate crisis. He's um, very kindly getting out of bed in the very small hours of the morning in Oz, down under in Australia, and coming on to speak to us live. So to make it worth his while, and because there's so much in this, we're going to be speaking for about 90 minutes tomorrow. It is one not to be missed. Uh, I can promise you that, Professor Ian Plymer, on tomorrow's programme. All that's left for me to say is thank you so much to Tony Gosling. Thank you, Tony. And uh, this week.org.uk Politics Show Bristol, not the BCFM Politics Show, live on Friday at 5. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Thanks for spending a couple of hours with your BBG. Until tomorrow, bye now. <laughs>